You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. This conversation is a living continuum that includes every link of the coffee value chain from before the seed to after the cup. Welcome back to The Coffee Podcast. This is part two of our double feature with an interview with the 2017 World Barista Champion, Dale Harris. Before we dive on in, don't forget that you can go vote for us on Spreads.com as we've been nominated in the section of podcasts for Best Coffee Podcast 2017 for the Spreadgy Awards. We thank you for your support, and let's get to the show here. In this second part of our double feature, Dale is going to take us a little more into the specifics of the competition itself this year in 2017 and more of the direct influences of that competition and how he went and built his presentation this year. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So you are the barista champion for 2017. So officially, congratulations. I I know we're about halfway into our conversation here, and uh, I just didn't want to make it all about the comp- the 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 win i feel that would be that would kind of rob you from who you are you're not you're not just a world barista championship there's all this stuff behind you and ahead of you you know um so congratulations (laughs) thank you what what does this mean to you personally to win this award so you know and and i've been asked this question uh a few different ways by a few different people and I, i never quite resolve around the answer um, I think it's important to separate the result from some of the other things that you, some of the other experiences you can gain through that competition. So we had a few goals or I had a few goals when, when I won that national championship and, and winning the national championship for me was probably the big goal. It was something that it always felt almost within reach, but something that I was unable to make happen on my own. You know, you can't, you can't take away the performances of the other baristas and let it just be about your success or failure. It's always, you know, there's 20, 30 people there who are successful, who've worked really hard. And whether you do a good job or not, you can't determine whether the judges have a better experience for them. So that was that, that national championship just, having successfully achieved that goal that I'd set a long time ago meant that everything beyond that was, was a pleasure or a joy to a point. Um, I knew that I had this opportunity to, to stand on the world stage and nobody would tell me within reason that I couldn't say what I wanted to say or couldn't do what I wanted to do. So we were, we wanted to take that opportunity to build something that felt very much like something only I would do. Um, so that was a little win when we built a performance and just, just put it there. Um, there was also like a, a personal fear 
that you would stand on the world stage and actually everybody suddenly realizes that you shouldn't be there. (laughs) 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 That, you know, you know, all my incompetencies would fall out and I would forget my words and drop coffee everywhere or even worse, I'd make coffee and everyone would go, that was not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so with each, uh, round of the competition, there was a little more kind of personal feeling that I can stand on a stage and I do have the skills it takes to to deliver coffee that way under that level of pressure. Um, so once I'd done it in the preliminary round, the next step was like, well, was that a fluke? Was that a one-off? Can I? Can I present coffee that well twice? <laughs> and, to, and to do it three times was a, you know, was a dream come true. And I think there's some luck involved. There's some, you know, who is in the best emotional state and connects with the judges best on that last day. But you have six people at the at the end of the competition who've put in huge amounts of energy and passion and resource, and you know maybe almost 60 people over the course of the three, four days who've all got something worth listening to. And it's kind of overwhelming to think that I then have to go forward and represent all of those people to a point or all of those ideas right? Uh, uh, as, as champion. It's a super happy thing, but it's an overwhelming thing when I'm still trying to work out how do I do this? You know, I've seen, I, I've had the, the pleasure of meeting other world champions before at various kind of points from when they won. Uh, and following the, following the competition, a, a few of them have reached out to me and said, you know, this is, this is kind of some of the weirdness and this, this is how we dealt with some of these things. Yeah. But, yeah, it's an interesting experience, and I'm yet to find my solution to some of those problems. And I hope it takes a while to develop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So let's move into the presentation itself. Um, so you built your presentation. Uh, you mentioned already uh, that your coach was Pete Williams, and this was kind of, it sounds like and now that this was sort of his last hoorah. This was like his... <laughs> kind of for you both right like let's just do this and let's do it great and see what happens so what was building this presentation like i mean you included things like and forgive me if i get this wrong gas uh chromatography mass spectrometry did i that's pretty good all right you know that's i think that's the (laughs) second time i've said that out loud so (laughs) if if you can just give us a little details i i I know i want to go even beyond that here in, in a second with the with the next question, but how did you build your presentation? What inspired it? Um, something about perfume is involved here, but let's, yeah. let's see what else, what else, uh, helped to contribute to this awesome presentation. Okay. So, I mean, a, I delivered a performance in the UK nationals, uh, and one with it, it was a good performance, but I kind of felt at the end of it that, there were challenging aspects to it that even if I spent another six months on, I didn't feel I had it within me to deliver that performance better or to a higher level. I think I, I had 
I had successfully achieved everything that could be achieved with it within reason with the messages um, and with the coffee I delivered. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do something, something different. And I wanted to maybe take some of, some of all the things I learned through each of the national competitions that I competed each, you know, one little aspect from each one and kind of put it together and try and build something that was the, the sum total of those learnings. Um, but I wasn't really sure what that was. And I took a couple of weeks off. Uh, we were trying to work out what coffee I might use, uh, but I already had a holiday boat, so we kind of put everything on hold. And I was waiting for these ideas to germinate. And I was kind of passing messages towards uh, Steve. Steve's my boss, uh, but he's also my, my roaster for for all of these competitions uh, since I began working with him. So that's, you know, seven years. Yeah. So, so he's got a really strong understanding of what I value in coffee and what I'm excited about, um, bouncing ideas between him and Jen and Pete and just seeing which ones stuck a little bit. And some of the ideas were terrible. Uh, we won't go into those. <laughs> <laughs> some of them were, you know, just, what do you think of this? So I have this idea about, this and one of them was really tied to uh i don't want to say an art exhibition but but a perfume exhibition that was held at somerset house in london that that pete and i we had a, a random day off together in london when my kids were at a different show and we walked into this venue where there were 10 rooms and each room was themed around a perfume or designed by a different perfume designer to evoke ideas of of the sense they created and how people buy sense and how people interact with them. And it was just one of those things that, you know, in, in coffee, lots of the events you go to, if they don't involve a competition will normally involve lectures mm -hmm. and some kind of sensory activity, be it cupping or using the Nesda cafe sets. And we all, we can all identify or understand those kind of activities but they tend to be a little dry or a little missing something. Uh, and we did this perfume activity in a field where we don't understand the vocabulary, where we didn't have the reference points, but it was immediately 10 times more fun than doing anything like it with coffee. <laughs> um, maybe because just, you know, our ego was removed and we were, we were starting from the same place and it was new and it was fun, but it was, it was effectively exploring something minus your usual reference points. Okay. And so that led into this idea of maybe we could do something like that with coffee and introduce coffee through aromas, but make it fun or make it interesting. So that was, that was kind of the core of the idea. And then I was trying to look for a coffee that can maybe play into that or would just taste amazing on its own. And I could somehow fuse the two together. And at some point, I said to Pete, do you know what GCMS is? You know, this is a way of identifying chemicals within foodstuffs. And wouldn't it be cool if we could do something with that and tie it in with these, these aromas? And, it, you know, it was maybe a, a very quick idea that came one Sunday night. And he was like, write an email. See if you can find someone who can help you with this. And, and if there's someone who can help maybe we'll pursue it. And we kind of, I knew, I knew a friend of a friend, someone I work with uh, through, my, through my day job who 
who's done kind of research like this with with various universities. I said, you know, do you know anyone who might be able to help? And a couple of days later, he came back with a suggestion and I, I sent a crazy email. I'm the, I'm the coffee champion of the UK. <laughs> Maybe this would be interesting. And I was expecting to be to not get a response or get a very dismissive one. Like, we're busy grown-ups. <laughs> uh, we don't do this. Uh, but there was uh, Ian, who's an associate professor at the University of Nottingham, uh, where they have, he works in the Department of Food Sciences. So it's this incredible campus. It's next door to a, a crop sciences laboratory where they're doing lots of research on, you know, grain crops and brambles. And then right next door, they have this, uh, let's say uh, food campus where they're focused on solving problems or looking at challenges that affect the food industry. Mm-hmm. And that can be like things tied to those crop sciences, or it can be things tied to, you know, mass produced products, be it, you know, doing work for Nescafe or Pepsi Cola or, you know, crisp companies or flavor additive companies. Um, they have everything from, you know, uh, sensory booths where, you know, different, different demographics can be offered things and, and their taste scores assessed to whether a product is better or worse, but also super complex laboratory equipment, uh, Little little machines that will measure the exact chemicals as they go through noses and the effect on the brain and how people feel about or or which like emotional areas light up when someone smells a certain thing. Yeah, um, like it's mind blowing. And I kind of sent a few emails and um, Gloria, uh, who's a PhD student uh, under Ian, who's already working with coffee, offered to help and put us some time on the machine. And we kind of went in and did something that wasn't quite scientific, but was an analysis of different shots of espresso. And Gloria analyzed it for us. And all this information fed into to what ended up becoming key components of the way we described flavor yeah. or the, the way we presented those flavors. And certainly a key constituent of what the signature drink became. Um, and Pete's role was really... I'm having all these stupid ideas or these crazy ideas and he would he would do his level best to help me make those fit the requirements of the competition. Um, <laughs> I think like, like the very best uh, competitors, in my opinion, tend to, there's an element of the TED Talk <laughs> that gets squeezed into this barista competition routine. Right, right. Um, and that's not what the competition asks for. The competition asks for you to be nice to four people and present them with some good drinks and explain them well. Uh, and you're trying to find this balance between between one and the other. And Pete's really good at saying, stop doing that. That's not helpful. Or this is a way that we can bring those two together. Um, and he has lots of other skills. Uh, his, I think his biggest skill is he has the... I'm not going to say he has the patience to deal with barista competitors, but he's found the patience to deal with me. You know, we have a, <laughs> we have a really strong relationship and he understands both the pros and the cons of the way that I work and the way I look at things. And we found ways of, of balancing our mutual needs to be able to make something like this work. Right on. 
And you and you did focus on a on like a fully immersive experience for the judges. You had visual, uh, aromatic, and tactile focuses. What were your favorite moments in your presentation? And can you talk us through those moments and tell us what you were hoping to achieve in them? Yeah. So, I mean, f- <laughs> favorite moments is a difficult one. I think uh, maybe riskiest moments might be more fun because yeah. there, there were definitely things that I was excited to do, but I wasn't sure how they were going to work. Or, um, you know, one of the one of the key things that most people noticed very early on from my performance on the first day was that I embraced the new table setting rules that the the world championships allows you. Um, and that's not something you can do in the national competition. Mm-hmm. So there was this, there was this opportunity to, to try something that let's, that was only 57, 58 people had the opportunity to try. And I really wanted to see if we could use those tables to do something more than just reposition the judges, you know, to, to use it as a tool to help them experience things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the first thing we kind of did was we looked at a few of the different table options and looked at the, the challenges that each one delivered as well as the opportunities. And the, the biggest recurring challenge was, at least for this year, the, the espresso machine is in a fixed position or was in a fixed position. Oh, okay. So almost you had to use one of the previous orientations for tables or you had to find a way to make coffee in a nice way with your back to the judges. Oh, and, interesting. You know, like that's, uh, it's, the, it's a thing we avoid doing in shops. Oh, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> like the... I hate. <laughs> um, like I look at shop designs and I see the espresso machine on the back wall. And I'm like, mate, that's that's not what we do. Yeah, that's you... not, not the... <laughs> yeah, that's cringeworthy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and at some point, like we we accepted that if I wanted to do all of the ideas that I that were available to me, or that that, that we'd we put some time into, we had to see whether that was something that was possible. So we built, we built this routine that involved or required standing in that position and us, you know, deeply embracing that and embracing the idea that sometimes I wouldn't talk and I would just do things and that the judges would have to interpret that, you know, is that bad service? Is that, is that okay? Because it lets me focus on these other things. Can I, can I build other ways of the judges having a good experience that don't involve me standing in front of them, lecturing them? Um, so these were all little ideas that were feeding into it. Uh, the riskiest part was, you know, that first day or, or maybe uh, the first run through I did with that with strangers, which was, oh, yeah, you're going to stand here in a completely different place. And I'm going to ask you to ignore me while I do weird things and make weird <laughs> noises. And, you it's- know, that... You know, that's kind of that's kind of like a magician saying, "Hey, I'm going to do an illusion, but I need you to turn away." <laughs> yeah. I I could see the the challenge there for sure. Okay, so so one of my ideas for a previous competition, you know, and you you always have these ideas and then they they meet reality or your skill level, you go, "Okay, that's not something I can do." But I always wanted to do a routine that was kind of uh close-up magic and, you know, that's effectively what the joy of latte is 
you know, it's a customer watches you do a thing and they're kind of joyfully surprised. Right. And if you can create moments like that, moments where it feels, oh, something changed or something's different, that has that has an, uh, a reward somewhere there in people's perception of what you're doing. Even if it's something that, you know, anyone can do, they just need to practice hard enough. If you can create right. that sense of magic or that sense of novelty, um, there's a little bit of value there. Um, so a lot of having the judges look away from things or do different things or stand in different positions was all about that kind of magic. Um, I think, by the time I practiced it, uh, you know, tens of times, it got to the point where it stopped feeling magical to me. But new people experiencing it for the first time were, this is kind of cool. This is kind of different. No, I didn't expect it. No, I have no idea how this will score. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time we tried it for, uh, I was really lucky the, the UK community was, uh, was really supportive after I won the national championship so maxwell who's who's been a customer in the past and i runs a a successful roastery called colonna um but have been a a world's finalist a few years running a couple of judges who've been uh who are judged at the worlds they offered to give me time and space to do a run through so maybe three weeks before we traveled to seoul I did my first run through of this kind of final presentation idea with a sick drink with all these elements. Mm. We hadn't given them any warning of what would happen. And I don't want to say it was a humiliating experience, but it was, it was definitely a painful one. You know, I, <laughs> I, I got there and I realized how unprepared I was, how, how unpolished the thing was, but also where rough edges around what I was trying to prepare was so jarring for these judges mm. that they couldn't follow me um so uh maxwell tim uh andrew tolly uh all, all these people that i built relationships with they were brutally honest but in a really helpful way they were like this didn't work for me i find this difficult i didn't understand why you did this and it forced p and i to kind of go back and relook at everything we'd done and try and polish those edges or or work out why we were making something difficult and truly embrace it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so putting, I would definitely say to anybody who, who is competing, you know, even at a, at a national level, if you have the opportunity to stand in front of people who scare you and who understand the competition and just do a run through and listen to their feedback, that's always a valuable experience. Yeah, it, it sounds like it may even be sort of a crucial part of the the story of, of winning a competition, right? Yeah. Like, I, I wonder if I hadn't gone through that step, whether I would have, you know, not made the semifinals and that information would have been given to me as my debrief. You know, these right. all, all those things that I had done wrong at that point I would have refined them, I would have polished them, but I wouldn't have had that insight to turn them into something that was that was easy for the judges to digest that made mm-hmm. a little more sense. Um, actually, like in terms of the the science and the research, we actually we ended up removing lots, but all with the the goal of developing clarity and 
you know, everything being directly relevant to what the judges tasted. Gotcha. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the points at the end or the, or, or the parts that felt really successful, it was that clarity of vision and that, you know, that, that real connection between the information I was giving and what the judges were experiencing. Right. And you, you had something for me that stood out uh, in your presentation, your emphasis on uh, giving context to the farm level information of the coffee um, and, and you did that at the end and it, the way you were explaining it sounded like it had something to do with even regular service in a cafe and how to best communicate the coffee. Did you want to develop that I- idea or thought yeah. a little more? Yeah. Like, I think it's always important to differentiate between what is there for the competition and what applies to wider things. And it's not a the way we present coffee in competition is not the same as we do behind a bar. I sure but hope lots not. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's intense. I, I mean, it's, it has lots of value, but not for everyone. Um, I think there's always this weird kind of cycle where things that happen on the competition stage bubble back to what happens behind bars and how baristas think about coffee and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a long and slow process. It's not, you know, single aspects from single people's routine each year, but over the course of, you know, the last 10, 15 years, you know, say traditions or trends that you see in barista competition do some of them find their way back to the bar. Some of that's a good thing and some of it isn't. Uh, I think a generally good trend is the way people choose to talk about coffee and the information that goes on coffee packaging, uh, the information that goes on menu boards, particularly for filter coffee. You know, certainly in the UK, it's a lot more common now uh, to have not just origin, but farm name and varieties and processing. Mm. You know, that's almost, it's certainly commonplace across coffees from specialty roasters being served in you know what we what we call third wave cafes that's that's become the norm but it's almost become the norm to such a point that that information is disregarded by customers who frequent those cafes you know it has country it has farm name but because it doesn't mean anything to what they're going to experience no value is put upon it you know, right. it's, it's, it's on the bag, but no one mentions it, or maybe, you know, there are a few different stores and I'm never a hundred percent sure whether I love this or I hate this, but <laughs> instead of describing coffees by all that information, they, you know, they just describe it by flavor, you know, or you can order right. the one that tastes of cherry, or you can just order the Colombian or they, they, they isolate aspects and that's all they talk about to make it easier for their customers to absorb relevant information. And I both love it because it's a little more honest and again, there's more clarity, but I also hate it because it feels like there's obfuscation or huge generalization about what things are, you know, not all naturals taste the same. Not all washed coffees taste the same. Uh, Not all coffees from Colombia taste the same. So I I just, I find it a, a completely challenging thing, but if you can find ways of, still offering that information but passing it out in such a way that it's not all at once it's not as a lecture it's not as a before you buy thing but while someone's experiencing something oh you know that that flavor note you're getting 
I think it's related to this, or we see that a lot in coffees from this region, um, you know, that's indicative of process or of altitude or whatever. Um, that's a common thing. And then when we, when we get closer to barista competition and the way baristas, including myself, perform at them, you're asked to demonstrate coffee knowledge and then it becomes almost a tick sheet that if you if you provide a certain uh, a certain set of facts about a coffee, if you mention the altitude, if you mention the farm name and the variety, you get you tick some boxes. But that information on its own often doesn't really tell you that much. You right. know, altitude altitude on its own is not a useful fact, and you talk to coffee producers, you investigate coffee at a deeper level, and the altitude's almost irrelevant. It's the climactic effects that altitude has. But we all say altitude <laughs> because that's right. where, the, where we feel there's a point. Um, so there was a little bit of me that was like, it's not that I want to ignore these conventions or ignore how we think these rules are interpreted, but I wanted to tell a truth as I see it, that that information has importance, but only if you fill in some of the gaps. And as we searched for a coffee, we found a coffee that helped me isolate some of those bits of information. Um, and again, it's not, it's not quite science and it's not quite factual, but I could at least say these are bits of information and there's some correlation between these flavors and maybe one feeds into the other. Right. But use the full 15 minutes to do that instead of doing, you know, a one minute presentation on, you know, you, in the States, do you have a card game called Top Trumps? I mean, I we, don't know if we might, but I only <laughs> play, Bo, uh, what is it called, Bojangle? Oh, no, Banana Gr What is it called? I don't even know what I play. <laughs> we, have, we have this weird, like, game called Top Trumps where it has, like, a deck of 50 cards with supercars on and you can compare their, their speed or, you know, the, the fastest they can go or their acceleration, or whatever, and all okay, these facts. Gotcha. And often barista competition has an element of that that you say that my coffee is the best because it's got this, 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 and this. And then you do a completely isolated presentation about a drink you've made up and a completely isolated presentation about a milk you found. Gotcha. And I wanted to try and, make it one presentation about a coffee they used that signature drink they used that espresso course they used you know the say the the factors involved in the milk beverage they used all those aspects to help tell a clearer story about what made the coffee special right um, yeah and for just for the record because I, I don't want to say it was bojangles I, it's uh called ben <laughs> It's called Bonanza, which is a which is a great game if you ever get the chance. It's totally related to the conversation here. Of course. <laughs> so, it's, 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 it's my favorite thing about uh, you know talking to customers in a coffee bar or talking to anyone in coffee is actually it is coffee becomes this bridge to learning more about other people. Or other people's experiences, you know, and I can now Google that and I have one more completely unrelated piece of information that floats around in my head and later comes in handy, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think 
there's there's so much there <laughs> that we could talk about. That's the beauty of of coffee in general. It's I suppose, you know, when we started the podcast, we were like, well, you know, maybe we'll get 100 episodes in or 50 and then cuz you think you're going to run out of things to talk about, but the more yeah. you you talk about it, you're like, "Oh my gosh, we could go in any direction and talk more." Yeah. Um but with that said, we are coming to the end of our conversation, Dale, and these Next few questions are sort of our, our end cap questions, questions we ask every guest who comes onto the show, and we'll just get started here. So the first question is going to be, where do you see coffee going in the next five years? So you can answer this in the context of competitions or just the general coffee industry as a whole. Okay. Uh, I would... I think I focus on the industry because I think... I think competition plays this weird like lead and follow relationship with it. Um, I think I think the industry has been grappling with ideas of sustainability for you know f- maybe five twenty years. If we look at specialty as as a project in its own right, um, I think we've got to a point where there is real recognition that some of the things we have prized for good reasons, like incredibly high value coffees and tiny micro lots that are exceptional. Uh, I think maybe that is peaked and the goal will now be finding new ways to celebrate coffees in a way that is more, I don't want to say sustainable, but equitable across, uh, across the world. Something that, you know, all coffee producers can in, increase the quality of their coffee and all roasters have the ability to source better coffee and and bars have the ability to brew better coffee but i think the focus on the super high fancy lots has to shift and it has to be something about a slightly slightly more available level of coffee getting a good few steps better and the value going to a wider range of coffee producers and and everyone along that chain um, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I think that will be the the challenge of the next five years, particularly as a lot of the requirements for the super fancy high lots, you know, be that are being affected by climate change. You know, right. there will be less less and less super fancy coffee and less and less terrible coffee, and that middle range has to get a step better if it's going to survive. Right. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that that the hot word of sustainability is definitely something we're gonna see refined here in the next five years, without a doubt. And um, let's go ahead and jump into the next the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any resources you'd like to recommend? Uh, books, websites, uh, people. I know that you mentioned a few people like uh, John Gordon and uh ed buston i think was the other one any any references that you would like to give out for our listeners so i think i think we're at an exciting time that there's been lots of you know new ideas on things like barista hustle and people moving things very very fast and having lots of fast ideas i think now is the time that the coffee community would really benefit from looking outside of coffee, uh, be there for, you know, science, particularly the, uh, the work I was doing with, with Gloria, with the GCMS. Mm-hmm. I looked at some of the other work that she has been doing, but also other people who are kind of involved maybe with 
commodity coffee or or the wider food industry. Um, so uh, Shahan uh, Yaretsian, who is I, I'm not 100 percent sure where 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 he sits now, but I think he leads the the research pillar of the of the SCA. But he he does he runs programs at the University of Zurich, and he has a number of PhD students working with him uh, on different aspects. Uh, of coffee preparation or freshness or roasting. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think some of those academics, their work is is overdue exploration from baristas. You know, a few people have poked at it, um, but there's also, uh, and I would get the acronym wrong, but there's the Association for Science in Coffee, something like this, uh, who have their their annual meeting in, I think, Seattle later next year. Uh, the amount of science that happens with coffee and food that specialty doesn't involve itself in because we're so focused on espresso machines or, you know, uh, refractometers, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. Uh, like, yeah, I think, I think there's a resource there that is yet to be tapped. All right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. So this last question is the doozy question. Um, it's what is the, <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Okay, so this is, I, ca- I cannot give this very well. I, <laughs> back in, I think 2015, I went to the big, uh, expo now. I went to the event, the SEA show, SEA show. Uh, and I was staying in a, in a motel. And it was super cheap. And my next door neighbors were some Australian kind of retirees, guys, uh, guys and their wives in their 60s, who were there for three, four days whilst they were waiting for a ferry to take them to Alaska. And, you know, Australians are talkative and friendly. (laughs) (laughs) So they invited invited me outside to chat about... um, you know, shot over a beer where they played guitars and things like that. And one of them had like this perfect wording around, you know, you only really work out who you are later or like you get there in the end kind of thing. Hmm. And there is something about have all these experiences, enjoy the journey, but it's only when you look back that you really understand them all. Um, Competition was a huge part of my life, has been a huge part of my life for the last nine, ten years, and there have been lots of ups and downs. It can really, I have a different understanding and pleasure from those right now. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I can understand how they all fed into what happened in Korea, um, and it changed something that was, you know, a, a challenging or questionable thing that I'd done with lots of my life. <laughs> into something there was you know there were steps along a road um so it gives you that faith to you know trust your judgment it'll all come good in the end kind of thing and you know i i remain optimistic about almost everything <laughs> so <laughs> that helps too no that's that's great I, you know they do say hindsight's twenty twenty, but i think it's a lot more profound than that and i think you you frame that fact uh really well just then so, uh, well, anyway, Dale, uh, this is, this is, uh, we've come to the end here of our conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your experiences and, uh, advice for our listeners on uh, barista competition and the coffee industry as a whole. 
My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. We want to thank Dale for offering his time and joining us on the show with all that insight. It was great to be able to talk to him. Uh, Such a humble guy. Uh, And what a great win this year as he kind of took the gold, as they say, uh, with the 2017 World Barista Championship. Well, that's all the podcast episodes that we have this year for 2017. We thank you for your support, and we're going to continue on into 2018, hopefully with better, more content for all of you. Uh, Thanks for all of your support. Don't forget those Spreggy nominations. Um, Go vote for us if you have the time, and uh, happy 2017. See you all next year. Coffee Podcast is produced by me, Jesse Hartman. Music is by Michael Parallax. You can find his music at michaelparallax.com. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, and until next time, happy brewing.